0: This episode of Naked Age is supported by a sponsorship grant from the American Association for Nude Recreation Education Foundation. Learn more about the Anner Education Foundation and their mission, or make a donation at aanr-ef.com.
1: Welcome to Naked Age on The Naturist Living Show, a historical audio series exploring uncommon stories and profiling unique people who have gone to extraordinary lengths to live a nude life. I'm your host, Evan Nix. In this episode, we'll meet two North American nudist pioneers. First, a look at Ray Canet, an influential figure of early Canadian nudism. Then, we'll meet Gerardo Cisneros, a nudism advocate working to bring a budding Mexican nudist movement into full bloom. This is Naked Age. Nudism is often referred to as a movement, the nudism movement, or the naturism movement. In America, this terminology goes back to the late 1920s, when social nudism as a modern idea and practice first began to proliferate across Europe and America.
2: And what would these old settlers think if they knew that the most modern of all new movements, nudism, had made its home here?
1: That all makes sense for the 1930s, when nudism was a new idea. But like, these days we have nudist cruises and nudist social media networks. It seems pretty well accepted. Is nudism still a movement? These days, some naturists steer clear of that terminology, striving more for personal relaxation than social reform. And these folks aren't wrong. I have to say, when I take in the scene at my local nudist club on a Saturday afternoon, it certainly looks more like relaxation than reform. But what about when it comes to connecting with other people who practice nudism? To organize and work together to carve out a space to legally and comfortably practice nudism where that right doesn't exist already. Surely then it becomes a movement, right? With that framing in mind, perhaps a better way to view nudism than as one singular movement is as a global phenomenon of many culturally diverse movements. Most listeners to this podcast will know Stéphane Deschain as the host of the Naturist Living Show podcast or as the owner of Baroque's Family Naturist Park. He's also the current president of the International Naturist Federation, a role which gives him a singular view of nudism in an international context. And as Stefan will tell you,
0: nudism is different everywhere. Next year, the International Naturist Federation will be 70 years old. And it was the Third World Congress in 1953 where it was formed. Naturism has always been very organized. Part of it was because it had to be. The way it used to work is you would join a club. That was the only choice. There was no free beaches anywhere, 1950s. That was it. You joined a club. You were vetted by a club. These national organizations would essentially allow you to have a, a standard. You'd be part of a club. And through that club, you're part of the federation. And then they said, Well, we should need to do that at an international level. And so the International Naturist Federation was formed, partially to coordinate that. So you had the stamp. The reason Congresses were established was naturists wanted to share between the different countries, different ideas, different ways they were. This was a movement, right? Should still be today. I think it is uh, in certain places. Uh, It was a movement to change the world and make it a better place. And so they wanted to get together and talk and share, but also collaborate and There is enormous cultural differences in the world. What you need to work on in France is different than what you need to work on in Israel or India. You know, every country is different.
1: Today, we will explore the Canadian and Mexican nudism movements, and two pioneers whose stories of establishing national nudist organizations take place 70 years apart. Together, these stories provide a clearer picture of what a nudism movement is, and the kind of hard work and clever thinking is required to organize one.
2: Ray Kanett, 55 years. Here he is for the first time in 55 years with his clothes on. And we'll be back to talk about. To be a part of the audience, please send a postcard for free tickets to Donahue Tickets, care of NBC.
1: By the time he appeared on Donahue to promote nudism in 1994, Ray Canette had already left an indelible mark on American and Canadian nudism. As Phil Donahue alluded to, Ray, along with his lifelong wife and partner Mildred, could lay claim to an unrivaled list of impressive accomplishments in a remarkable nudist career that spanned six decades. That career began in 1939, when the idea of organized nudism in Canada was only beginning to spread, due largely to the recent availability of America's first mass-distributed nudist magazine, Sunshine and Health. It was that year that Ray Canet and several others co-founded the Van Tan Club, Canada's first and oldest nudist club, which is still in operation today near Vancouver, British Columbia. The Canets would go on to co-found the Canadian Sunbathing Association, and another long-running Canadian club called Sunny Trails, before moving south to California in 1959, where the couple would manage the popular Olive Dell Ranch near Riverside. In 1962, Ray and Mildred purchased an actual olive farm, land which soon became Glen Eden Sun Club, to this day, one of the premier nudist resorts in the United States. In
3: 1975,
1: Ray was inducted into the American Sunbathing Association Hall of Fame for his contribution to American nudism. In 1983, Ray Canet committed his personal account of early Canadian nudism to a tape recording, which has been held by the American Nudist Research Library in Kissimmee, Florida for over 40 years. This recording, a portion of which we are sharing here publicly for the first time ever courtesy of ANRL, provides us with a rare first-person narrative of how Ray Canet and many others worked together to network with other nudists and organize a movement in the 1940s. Fair warning, the audio you're about to hear is old, and the quality has degraded. This may make it difficult for some sensitive listeners to track. If you need to skip ahead, you can find the next section at the 17-minute mark. Eric Annette, speaking at the
2: request of the American News Research Library, hoping that I can add to... The little known knowledge and understanding of many American listeners from a Canadian standpoint. My knowledge and initiative in nudism in Canada, of course, came from reading the American magazine Sunshine and Health, which used to absorb in public newsstands in America. To bring it back into Canada, We would pick up whatever was available, two or three copies, and carefully slip them inside of my shirt and come through the customs into Canada, hoping that they wouldn't notice and be suspicious of of my figure, because uh, news magazines were not admissible in 1939, when I first started to take an interest in organized nudism in Vancouver, British Columbia. When an ad appeared in the Vancouver Daily Province and it gave a phone number, that man was Edward Lansdowne, and he, quite literally, could be the only one to be credited with having started the Vantan Club. When we contacted him, we were invited to come to a gathering at his apartment, and when noted and I showed up on the door, Steph White said, oh, you brought your wife? And I said, well, I thought I had to. So she was very happy to withdraw, and uh, I went in, and in the company of about eight or 10 men, we sat through the evening and discussed some of them had had actual newest outings, some of them had actually visited clubs, but anyhow, Most of us had had no real active experience. We just wanted to be a part of it if it was going to get started in Vancouver. But it was agreed among us that we would go out following Sunday and go to a location on the Alouette River. Uh, for our first new doubting, I remember noted she didn't think she wanted to join in this activity, so I took her for a walk, and by the time we came back, I had her out of her clothes and thoroughly and totally wrapped in a beach towel. We came into the group, and she got down on her tummy, and that's where she stayed for the rest of the day. Tried hard to imagine that this is the lady that helped to found and operate Grand Eden, which is now the largest uh, club in the west, celebrating its 20th anniversary this year of 1983. Eventually, one man, Alastair McDowell, presented us with a proposition. He had found lots for sale about uh, five miles up the Grouse Mountain Highway, and he said that he would buy them for the club and they would be under no obligation to repay him until such time as the club was well on its feet and satisfied that this was to be their location. We all went up and explored the area and were very happy with it because it had this fantastic view of the city of Vancouver. You saw the whole harbor and the city spread below you and it uh, just felt like God's on Olympus. Anyway, I think he paid $250 a lot. Eventually, in 1941, I went to England. I had a letter to a man who was proposing and at that time was writing to the different clubs in England, urging them all to come together in an association which he thought could be patterned after the American sunbathing association. He had me at his home a number of times and we talked at great length about how things were done in the United States. And all I could tell him was, of course, what I had read in the Sunshine Health magazine because um, I knew in actuality, very little of of American nudism. He managed to get a group of people together in a restaurant in London and had me address them. And there was a lady who came up to me and said that she was the editor of one of the English sunbathing magazines and she asked me if I would be willing to write a bit about uh, nudism in America or in Canada. And she was very pleased with that article. So uh, this woman editor asked me uh, to continue contributing. My experience writing for uh, this English magazine led me to stop in at the office of the Canadian Sunbathing for Health magazine. And he was reprinting in Canada the text and pictures from the English sunbathing for health magazine and sending it out from a Toronto publishing office and it was being sold all across Canada because it was totally retouched. No pubic area visible. So I talked things over with him and I said to him, if he would allow me give him the material for a page every month, I would invite all of the readers to contact me in confidence and I would put them in touch with each other. So when I got back home, I sat down to my typewriter, and the name Sunny Trails came to mind, and that was my title for the page that I subsequently wrote until the magazine went out of business in 1958. This invitation was so successful that within a year, we had 15 nuclear groups across Canada We had an active nudist movement. There were more clubs by far in in the East than in the West. But within a year, we recognized that uh, we were ready for some sort of an organization, the Canadian Sunbathing Association. A man in Washington by the name of Art Hamilton for a couple of years, he wrote to every club in the Northwest and the two or three clubs in Canada with the proposal that there should be formed a Northwest Regional. But I was privileged to say on many of those organizational meetings, I remember Mervyn Mounts uh, from Spokane was very much a part of those meetings, and uh, he at the time paid me a compliment, that I was always able to contribute to the exact wording of of various ideas that they wanted to incorporate in the Constitution and bylaws of the Northwest Sunbuilding Association. So when that crystallized and came to fruition, they had their first foundation meeting at the Cobblestone Lodge, south of Yelm, Washington. I went home to Canada and I sent out a newsletter because I had this vast mailing list now And I told them it was time for us to do something like that in Canada. Out of that grew the Canadian Sunbathing Association, which was on a day, an afternoon, and a night in the Moose Hall in Vancouver, British Columbia. And it was in pouring rain, but it was attended by... Almost all of the nudists in British Columbia, and nobody from the east. But we formed the Canadian Sunbathing Association, and I was elected the secretary, and we uh, were off to a good start. That was in 1947, the formation of the Canadian Sunbathing Association.
1: Canadian nudism's organization and development followed the U.S. nudism movement by only a few years, sticking closely to the model its southern neighbors established. Looking further south, the development of a nudism movement in many areas of Latin America rarely follows a parallel timeline. In America and Canada, early nudist magazines served largely as the organ for this type of organizational communication. Mexico and other countries in Latin America had no such publications available to them. In many respects, it was not until the internet came along that Mexican nudists have been more readily able to locate and communicate with each other and begin to organize. One result of this has been a burgeoning Mexican nudism movement, growing especially vibrant within the last 20 years. One person who gets some credit for the growth of this movement is Gerardo Cisneros, who, with other leaders from multiple Mexican nudist groups, co-founded the Mexican Federation of Nudism in 2011. With some savvy and a little luck, Gerardo and others have been able to accomplish remarkable things for Mexican nudism in a short time. Beyond public nudism advocacy, Gerardo also practices and facilitates a regular group practice called Temascal, a healing sweat lodge ritual which originated in pre-Hispanic Mesoamerica and has been passed down for over 5,000 years. Gerardo's point of view on nudism as a movement is unique and fascinating to hear. And recently, Gerardo was kind enough to share some of his stories with me over Zoom from his home in Mexico City on a Mexican holiday better known for its celebration in the US. Well, first of all, let me just start by saying, happy Cinco de Mayo.
4: Thank you for doing this with me today. (laughs) We don't celebrate it here. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's a state of of Puebla thing and a US thing. I'm a Mexican. I was born and raised in Mexico City and I have lived here pretty much all of my life except for four years in Princeton for graduate study. I found nudism by accident, by happenstance. We had a timeshare week in Orlando which we exchange the second time we use it for a place in the Caribbean because my late first wife uh, thought that we had never been to an island in the Caribbean and as luck happened they gave us a week in Sapphire Beach Club which is in the Dutch side of St. Martin. This was early 90s And uh, the reservation confirmation still arrived by paper mail. And the reservation confirmation stated that uh, Sapphire Beach Club was on Kupekoi Beach, which was a clothing optional beach. Uh, I had curiosity about nudism. I was not a nudist then. I had a a Usenet newsfeed, if you remember those. Usenet was a precursor of Yahoo groups and Google groups, etc. And there was this uh, group called, a uh, news group called Rec.Nude. And so I, I had heard about Orient Beach, of Kupekoi Beach, of uh, nudism in general, but hadn't done anything about it. But that was the opportunity. We went to Sapphire Beach Club, uh, we went to Kupekoi. I saw people that uh, were clothed uh, people who were nude and so it was clothing optional I opted for taking off my clothes (laughs) and I then uh, went for my very first skinny dip as an adult wow this is this is great and then coming out of the water being dried by the sun and the breeze and then after all of that not having wet swimming trunks and having dry clothes to put on to drive back to wherever one is going i said i I don't ever want to go to a beach where i have to use a, a swimsuit the only thing i regretted at that point was that i hadn't found this earlier when my children were little at that time they were already uh, turning 19 and 21, respectively. So they're not nudists, but they don't begrudge us our being nudists. For the next 13 years, uh, my first wife and I were pretty much anonymous beach nudists.
1: You just mean sort of you and your first wife would practice it, but there was no social group around that's, it. And... That's it. Yes, yeah. exactly. That can be a lot of fun, but not nearly as much fun as a community that you can rely yes. on and build.
4: I was looking for nudists in Mexico during uh, th- during those years. And apparently I was looking at in the wrong uh, search engines. <laughs> uh, but in 2009, I came across a magazine in a newsstand. And the, the magazine was called uh, Adult Entertainment Guide, Guía del Entretenimiento Adulto. And uh, the cover had a nude couple seen from the back in the water with water up halfway up their legs and then the title says desnudarse como donde con quien getting naked uh with whom where when and and this magazine had several articles on mostly groups online that were nudism discussion for mexicans so i discovered that there was uh, social nudism in mexico Eventually, we joined one of these groups, we started going to their gatherings, and, and, and we became social nudists. There was this particular group that organized gatherings in Cuautla. These two couples rented a house for the weekend uh, just outside Cuautla, and this place had uh, a basketball court large lawn where one could play either soccer or volleyball it had a pool billiard stable sounds excellent it was really nice it was really nice and this was really not only social nudism it was family nudism uh, and as a matter of fact my first wife wasn't very sure about going but when she when we were returning from Kautle, she says now i'm a nudist she liked it so much And then other people who sometimes came to Cuautla from other parts of the country started organizing uh, similar gatherings near their homes. So this thing got the ball rolling. These same these same organizers, sometime in October of 2009, if I recall correctly, organized a, a gathering within the metropolitan area of Mexico City. We left early because at that point my wife was uh, in fairly poor health, and a few of the people who were there got together and and started brainstorming about forming a formal association of nudists in Mexico. They published this in one of the forums, and an appointment was set gathering organizers, moderators of these uh, virtual groups, etc., to to have coffee and discuss the idea of forming an association. So there were about a dozen people in that first gathering. Then 10 people regularly met and uh, eventually eight people ended up uh, drawing up articles of incorporation of the Federación Nudista de México. The Nudist Federation of Mexico which is a non-profit here.
1: And all of these founders, these eight founders, or these original 12,
4: these were all individual representatives from different groups? Or? Pretty much, pretty I much. See. And w- uh, were you among them? Yes, yes, uh, that's the idea. I'm one of the founders of the of the federation. At that time, I was doing English-Spanish translations and the articles of incorporation and the bylaws. Sure. I translated into English. I had my sister, who's a professional translator of uh, legal documents, uh, look him over for correctness, and we sent them off to the uh, to Austria to the INF. <music> The actual incorporation happened in December 2011. It wasn't until 2013 that we had the bylaws finalized uh, sure. and we sent them off to Austria and, and we got the uh, uh, acceptance from them. So we were recognized immediately.
1: Um, what did that do for your federation in Mexico?
4: One important thing that happened as a consequence of INF acceptance of the Mexican Federation was that all of the INF Federations received notice of the new Federation in Mexico. So in December of 2013, the Brazilian Federation invited us to participate in the 5th ELAN, which stands for Encuentro Latinoamericano de Naturismo, uh, or in English, Latin American Naturist uh, Encounter or Meeting. It's sort of a Congress. This was going to happen in Uruguay in March of 2014. The federation at that point was still eight people. Uh, We hadn't opened affiliations yet. We didn't think we were ready. And we certainly didn't have any money in the uh, bank account of the federation, but I did have some of my own. So I paid my way to to Uruguay with the intent of proposing that Cipolite be the venue for the uh, 6th Elan. This was an event that took place every two years, and I I went with this proposal to uh, uh, bringing it to Cipolite for 2016. And for my good fortune, the Brazilian Federation was extremely happy that there was a second INF-recognized federation in Latin America, and they wholeheartedly supported my proposal. As a matter of fact, The vice president of the Federation, who was the uh, official representative at that Elan, because the president couldn't come for some reason or another, uh, said Brazil insists that the next Elan should be held in a country where it has not been held before. The only other country that was represented in Uruguay that hadn't held an Elan was Ecuador. And they said they were in opposition to, to organize it. So I came back to Mexico with a 60 land in my pocket.
1: Wow. And two years to plan for it, I imagine.
4: Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Yes. Yeah. By that time, I was already a widower and I was in a new relationship with Rosario. She's my second wife. And one of the main reasons she's my second wife is that she is a nudist that was my requirement for remarrying for uh, being in a new relationship but anyway it, it sure makes uh, dating a
1: lot more fun if you guys can share that you know yes yes exactly <laughs> there you go
4: In October of 2014, Juan Castaneda, who was the president of the Federation of the time, Rosario and I, and I was still secretary of the Federation, went to Cipolite to look for a hotel that would be the uh, venue for, for the Elan. Uh, we found it, we chose one that was not on the beach, was not uh, uh, usually, you can be nude on their, on their premises. But they agreed that if uh, we could fill the hotel, they would make it uh, notice for us, for the event. And, All and right. it did. That happened. That did happen. Ah, oh, perfect. <laughs> we also went to try to talk to the municipal authority.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: They were nowhere to be seen. So Juan Castaneda tried and tried again. And it wasn't until December of 2015, with with about a month to go, that a friend of ours who was working in one of the TV channel's news programs had a lot of media contacts and suggested a press conference. Hmm. So uh, in the last week of December, when there are no political news and the journalists are starved for news, we called for uh, the, the press conference and we expected maybe five or six people to to come. Well we had thirty different media represented. Wow. And we had TV interviews and radio interviews and internet news outlets and, and printed media and and so, so the, the the news of the uh sixth really started spreading and got to the coast of Oaxaca where Cipolite is. <laughs> Finally, the, the municipal president of San Pedro Pochutla, which is the municipality to which Cipolite belongs, finally took notice and said, uh, who are these people who are organizing a an uh, international nudist event in my backyard and, and I'm not told about it. Juan and, and two, of, two other founders of the federation went to, to, to San Pedro Pochutla. The municipal president... Agreed to, to uh, attend the inaugural event, do the formal opening declaration of, of the of the meeting, and when of course he gave a speech. January 28th, 2016. I think it was a Friday. He told us about his love for Cipolite. He gave a little too much information that I'm not going to go into at this time. (laughs) Uh, But then he, he did give us a surprise. He said, I will let you know that yesterday afternoon, the 27th, the formal meeting at City Hall, the Cabildo, as it's called in Mexico, and among other issues on the agenda, we decided to declare Cipolite and Del Amor beaches to be, uh, from this day forward, uh, nudist optional. Wow. So Cipolite had a, a, a 40 year history of tolerated nudism. I see. But at that point, it became official. Wow. And that. Uh, from my point of view, is one of the major. It was the, the major a- achievement at the time for the federation, getting oh, yeah. an, a, a, an, an actual beach in Mexico declared open to optional nudism.
1: That's an incredible win. Yeah, and and to think that um, you had such a hard time reaching him, <laughs> yeah. seems kind of silly. Yeah. No, considering no, that, the surprise. that was a
4: marvelous <laughs> surprise that
1: that he gave us. Wow. So you guys were not even lobbying to make the beach an official beach. No, no. What a great way to open up your event. (laughs) I imagine people were elated after that.
4: There's this hotel on the beach called Nude Bungalows and Spa. And the manager for two previous years, his name is Jair Flores, had tried to organize Cipolite Nudis Festival, but not having any support, it didn't really happen. No, No one knew about them. And Jair Flores and Juan Castañeda decided to, since, since the line had happened and had been successful, and this, and the beach was now officially nude, they decided that on the same holiday weekend of the following year, they would revive this idea of the uh, uh, Festival Nudista Simpolite. and that's when it started to grow. For, uh, for the next four or five years running, it just grew and grew and grew to almost 8,000 people arriving in Sipolite for that weekend uh, wow. uh, just before the pandemic hit in, in, wow. in 2020. <music>
1: Where were these people traveling from, by and large?
4: All over the place. Uh, lots of Canadians uh, and Americans but mostly uh, Mexicans from all over the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that That's where I met Stefan in person. That's where I mm. met Nick and Linz of, of Naked Wanderings. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that kind of event obviously brings people together and here you've created an international event in an unlikely mm-hmm. place that's bringing together people from far disparate <laughs> lands. I mean, that's a pretty incredible accomplishment.
4: Yes, yes, and the, the continuing festival is not really the, the Federation's merit, it's Juan Castaneda and Yair Flores' personal effort. The other thing that happened after I was uh, widowed and I started this relationship with, with Rosario is that I got involved in, the, uh, in a group called Amornud that had existed since 2004 on uh, on yahoo groups and sure. when yahoo groups uh shut down it just migrated to whatsapp and this group has organized uh Temazcales every month and now more frequently every three weeks uh since two, since then, since 2004 and what is Temazcales? Well temazcal is a pre-hispanic sauna it's a sweat lodge Atemascal, literally from 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 Nahuatl, means a sweating house, so a sweat lodge. There are volcanic rocks that are heated, in our case is with firewood, and then water is thrown on these rocks, and good hot steam gets uh, created that way. It it was the Aztecs' way of taking. Uh, steam baths we we have a, a temascal every three weeks on a sunday morning and we sweat for about four hours we get there at nine and uh at 10 30 at the latest we're going in for the first puerta The sweating goes on for four periods called puertas in Spanish, and each puerta is about 25 to 35 minutes. So we are actually sweating there for two non-continuous hours. Wow, that sounds very intense. Yes, it is. The first first period, I've measured the temperature about uh, three feet from ground level at 54 Celsius. Wow well over a hundred Fahrenheit it <laughs> is it is extremely hot what are those sessions like you're with other people yes well the one we that the one we've been using since 2014 mm. is a large one you can actually stand up in it and uh, uh, and it's it fits comfortably about uh, 28 or 30 people by comfortably I mean uh, anyone can uh, stretch out on the floor if necessary and the floor is never above 33 Celsius. I would imagine that there's a dialogue you guys are talking oh yeah there's a lot of chanting there's ritual involved this is this is this is free Hispanic and there there is ritual. The first door it is for presenting. Everybody introduces themselves, it states what they want to get for out of the temascal. Everyone comes with their own petitions for the little for the temascalito, the little temascal, as they call it. And then there's uh, regular singing and and traditional chanting. And then after each period, we go out for fifteen to twenty minutes, cool down, take a shower if uh, as, as, if one wants, enjoy the sun. There's a nice lawn next to it, and and so we have fun. What a great way
1: to like come together, you know. There's everybody's always looking for interesting things to do, you know, socially nude, and you can only see so many volleyball games, right? <laughs> it mm-hmm. just seems like so much more of an intimate and personal way to come together. Um, Obviously, a lot has changed in Mexican nudism since you've been involved. Is there anything that you'd like to see change next?
4: I'd like to see less uh, egos and, and more coming together. There there are quite a few groups that don't talk to each other. Sure. Because of uh, of uh, imagined or real slights. And uh, that's one thing that, that needs to disappear if we're really gonna grow nudism in Mexico more than it has grown at to this point
1: sure do those disagreements or disputes affect the way that your nudist federation is productive and operates
4: yes yes (laughs) unfortunately
1: you know I think that's one of the mainstays at least when you look at American nudism having looked at its history is there's always conflict right there's always it's just like any subculture there's always personalities Mm -hmm. that
4: butt heads (laughs) yeah Yeah, we have that here.
1: It's interesting to take in Ray's and Gerardo's stories side by side. There are a few clear parallels between both stories, despite their taking place over 70 years apart. When you take a step back and start to take all of these similarities in, it helps you to see that while many things change, some things do remain the same. You can find the Nudist Federation of Mexico on Facebook and Twitter, or through their website, fednudemex.org. This episode would not have been possible without the American Nudist Research Library and the Western Nudist Research Library. These important organizations are working to preserve the history and culture of the nudism movement. Both organizations are member-supported. Become a member and support nudist research. This episode included music sourced from the Free Music Archive under a Creative Commons license. Please see the show notes for detailed credits. Special thanks to Gerardo Cisneros, Rosario Correa, Scott Klein, Timothy Sargent, Mark Pavelchek, Carl Hild, Paul Lavallee, Andy Tabit, Shannon Lewis, and Stéphane Duchaine, Please subscribe to The Naturist Living Show wherever you get your podcasts, and listen to past episodes of Naked Age at nakedage.co. Thanks for listening.